to The Cinema Show, where we bring movie news, reviews, and insights right here on our podcast. I'm Dylan Martin. Here with me is Jackson. Huh? Oh. Uh, hey. Hey, guys. Uh, uh, how's it going? What's wrong? Uh, What's going uh, on? A Halloween was last night, and uh, the only mm-hmm. thing uh, scarier than that is uh, the hangover that I have right now. I feel like I was hit in the head by Mike Myers. Michael Myers. Michael Myers, yeah, yeah. I'm well, sorry to Boy hear about Bay. that. <laughs> and it looks like you've been infected by a symbiote. Uh, I it, maybe I got porked by a lamb daddy. I, I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, what was the other movie we talked uh, about? The Last Duel. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I got hit. I got uh, stabbed in the cheek with a, a blade. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, you know what? Uh, what's the old saying? You, you got to bite the dog that bit you, or yeah, something hair like the that. Dog that bit you. The, the hair, yeah, the hair. Oh, well, maybe we should do that. You know, to cure a Halloween hangover, uh, we should talk about some some scary movies, some a little bit of thriller, suspense. Why not? Right? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Let's go to Oregon, huh? Why not? Let's see what they got going on over there in a small town. Uh, beautiful scenery. Yeah, yeah. Re- really beautiful scenery. Uh, a small town Oregon teacher. And her brother, the local sheriff, discover that a young student is harboring a dangerous secret with frightening consequences. Of course, I'm talking about Antlers, directed by Scott Cooper, produced by Guillermo del Toro. We all know and love him. Also produced by David S. Goyer. We all know and love him. Look at that guy. Look, he, he sneaks his way into these movies somehow. Uh, Boy, does he. <laughs> and uh, the cast here is uh, Carrie Russell, plays Julia, the teacher. Uh, Jesse Plemons. Look at that guy. Gonna, yeah. yeah uh, up and coming actor, isn't he? <laughs> uh, playing <laughs> Paul, the, the brother, the sheriff of the town. Uh, we got, I guess, introducing. I'm not sure if he's been in other things. But playing uh, kind of our lead, Lucas Weaver, is uh, Jeremy T. Thompson. And um, we got a we got a token Native American here, uh, uh, Graham Green, and uh, that's Antlers in a nutshell for you. That, based that is Antlers, based off a short story called "The Quiet Boy" by Nick Antuska, 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 Antus. It's a short story. It's uh, it's a good read. I, I would highly recommend the short story. Uh, oh, you read it? I did. I did read the movie. Uh, the short story as soon as I finished the movie because I wanted something uh, to really sink my teeth into uh, after watching this movie. I, <laughs> I, I'm i sorry. I, uh, I thought this movie was boring. Uh, before we get into uh, some more in depth as to why, I have to bring up the theater experience. I think I had the creepiest theater experience uh, so far. So I watched this movie at... 11 a.m. And I was waiting outside. I was running errands and I was like, you know, I have time to kill. I have two hours to kill. Let me go watch this movie. And I was outside the doors waiting and nobody was there. I was there before the employees got there. And I saw the employees walk in. I'm like, hey, um, when you guys open, they're like at 11. I said, well, that's when the movie starts. What? <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, maybe we'll open up early. I'm like, okay, maybe. cool. <laughs> maybe. It was one of those theaters. They didn't give a shit. And all the meanwhile, I there's this bird uh, 
trying to get into the theater. It's so weird. And well, maybe that's what it is. He was waiting for his popcorn. Well, the bird was injured. I'm not sure if it was the wing or the leg, but he couldn't like fly. I even tried to like get near it, maybe like get scared and fly off. But no, it kept like avoiding me at the same time jumping at the door to get in. Weird as shit. And I'm already and I'm already kind of getting like freaked out because the movie I thought it was gonna be very scary and I go in I'm the only person in the theater and it's a pretty big theater I was the house that I was in was the size of an IMAX audience huge yeah huge I guess they decided to put antlers on the biggest screen they had or the I guess the biggest venue and I was literally the only person in that theater I think I was the only person like in the entire building aside from That's crazy. Scariest thing ever. <laughs> like it, like knowing that you're alone in this giant theater and possibly the building where all the employees are in the front counter making popcorn. I was like, uh I if I die, I mean this is how I die <laughs> in the middle of a theater. It was a very creepy experience. Anyways, um, I think the experience was a lot more scarier than I was the movie just stuff. about to say, uh, unlike the movie. <laughs> Unlike the movie, uh, but uh, I've enough ranting from me. Uh, yeah, what did you think well, of Antlers? Well, going into it, I did, I'd only heard the name and that it was. It kept getting pushed back, and it was finally going to come out in 2020. Uh-oh, <laughs> there's a pandemic. <laughs> uh, so it got pushed back even more, and that's all I knew is that it kept getting pushed back, and no one had seen this movie. Mm-hmm. So going into it, the only thing I knew was that, and Jesse Plemons was in it. Mm-hmm. All I knew. So I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't seen any trailer. I could have looked it up, but why not? If I know this little about something going into it, might as well just go in completely blind. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, um, maybe I wish I saw a trailer to know what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. Um, the cinematography was great. I love all the shots. It was beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, uh, other than that, that's uh, nothing really to write home about with this one. Yeah, it, it just seemed like, uh, I mean, going based off the short story here, it, it does feel like a very small contained a story. And I feel like maybe in the hands of a more experienced director like Aguirre de Toro, I don't know if he, I guess he didn't have time to direct this movie. but uh, He had Nightmare Alley and a full A-list cast to juggle. Yeah, I was really hoping for somebody like Guillermo to tackle this kind of story because it's a pretty interesting story when you actually read the original story here. And yeah, it just kind of falls into the same tropes as any other horror movie would. And I think the biggest uh, the biggest fault in this movie is the token Native American that they need to go to to explain the 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 message of the movie or like to get information because this if we're gonna get on into mild spoilers i mean there's a ancient native american spirit that's uh haunting and possessing uh people uh and then uh, and they it kind of even breaks its own rules sometimes with its own logic and it just it's very hard to get into when it does that and I don't know. I, I just uh, it just felt very boring to me, and, and not even frightening. No, uh, it it wasn't like kind of a slow burn kind of thing because the movie starts out pretty like 
whoa, what just happened? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's got that same pace. Like it's all by the numbers. It's all pretty predictable. Yeah. Um, except for what the creature actually is. It's a skinwalker. They say Wendigo in the movie, but as far as I'm aware, Native Americans don't actually say the name. It's uh, there. There's a whole history between skinwalkers and Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that they actually said it was kind of like the writer didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> um, anyway, they don't play with the fact that it's a skinwalker. It doesn't shapeshift. The only thing it shapeshifts to is whenever it spoilers. Uh, does anyone care about spoilers for this one? No, I don't think anybody's going to see it. <laughs> uh, there's this deer monster man that bursts out of people uh they puke black uh when they're possessed it's it's not really explained um Mm -hmm. which i mean doesn't have to be you get the point um but it was just so weird they didn't do anything with the fact that it was a skinwalker yeah there there's so much potential for a really good and horrifying skinwalker movie and they do nothing nothing with that yeah, and there's a lot of other subtext in this movie, and I feel like it just tries to tackle a lot of things at once and does nothing for any of those issues that get brought up. Like uh, Carrie Russell's character, Julia, who has been through some traumatic experiences in her life, and it just seems like an excuse to give some type of character to uh, her. Uh, I mean, again, you're going based off a short story, and you have to put in some things that can elongate it to become a full-length movie and it just feels like something that was like oh like well let's give her her some trauma and let's let's not really go deep into it and uh, at the end she'll come to uh, terms with it the end yeah like the monster is not like a metaphor for trauma like if you really read into it i'm sure you could find something that supports that but it largely just brings up these issues and it like okay that's it Like, the movie starts with this whole thing about, like, Mother Nature is angry and pray that she does not come back and haunt you. Like, and there's environmentalism. They bring up the the EPA. Nothing about the environment. Yeah. It's, it's, the movie's not about any of the five topics that they bring up. Like, uh, abuse, Mm. uh, childhood trauma, uh, the environment, um... That, that's really it but those are some big things and they're not in the movie at all there was a movie i was thinking about and i wish this movie would have been i don't know have you seen have you yet to see the movie wind river i actually saw wind river i love wind at, river. Uh, rio seven it was really good it's great and i was thinking if you would have like thrown in this grin- skin crawler creature into a wind river like movie like that oh. style that dread it would have been so great. And I feel like it was a missed opportunity to cast some heavy Native American actors. I, I feel like that's the direction this movie should have gone. If they would have kind of taken a page from Wind River, which I wouldn't have mind at all, because I think this movie mm-hmm. kind of needed, it would have been a so much better movie. Because I, I was just bored with these characters and trying to say like 10 different things and not really say anything at all. Kind of focus your vision on something that hasn't been touched on, you know, as much as like what River, uh, Wind River tried to uh, tackle, and w- which I think they did very well. Oh yeah, that that movie's great. If you haven't seen Wind River, go watch that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, watch that instead of this because I mean, 
I don't know. It just feels weird that we're here talking about a Native American type of uh, horror movie, which it should have been. And instead, it's a it's a mostly white cast. And then yeah, it's you, Jesse Plemons and Carrie Russell and the little white boy. Yeah. And then then you have uh, Graham Greene, who they go to when the plot needs them to to explain things and like, oh, I'm Native American and these are my people. And then, OK, you can go away now. Yeah, and even then, Jesse Plums' character doesn't mean he's like, do you really? It, that's a myth. Come on. Yeah. You stupid piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, might as well have done that, yeah. And then Jesse Plemons gets his uh, comeuppance. Uh, yeah, there you go. And yeah. then uh, the movie just ends. Yeah, it, it kind of just, it, again, in a, like a horror trope at the end, like, oh. It, it says it over. Yeah. They think they're going to get a little... Uh, I don't know. No, it's one of those horror endings. Like, oh, it's not a really happy ending. Is the little boy infected too at the end? <sighs> he might and have... how did that happen? If because he he's doing something at the at the lake, and then, well, what are we gonna? How, are you gonna be able to kill something that you love? But why would she have to kill the boy? Well, he I think did they something... thought he was gonna be possessed, but it was really really Plemons that got possessed. So, uh I guess it was a misdirect, like, oh, then maybe the kid's infected now, but it's really Plemons. But then again, that's the thing I was talking about, like, it being inconsistent with its own logic. I was under the impression the skin walk or the skin crawler walker, whatever, uh, can only possess one person at a time. But it seems like it can possess more than one person at a time. Yeah. Because I know the, the father and the son are both infected. Right? And then there's the other guy from the beginning in the mine. Yeah. Who's actually out there. And then we don't see that creature get killed. And then all of a sudden the dad turns into the creature mm-hmm. and the little boy still infected. And then once the dad is killed or, or the creature that came out of the dad is killed, then the little boy, uh, the little brother starts to show symptoms, like start turning. Mm-hmm. So there's no rules there's no logic set up it's just creepy scary thing and you don't know how any of this works yeah yeah so i mean uh i'm glad i got the experience i did (laughs) it's memorable to me but uh, aside from that i I wished i would have seen a a different type of movie yeah yeah i i feel like it was not not a waste of my time because i mean i finally saw this movie that finally came out you know yeah um but other than that, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. All right. Well, watch, watch a different horror movie. Yeah. I mean, let's rate it and uh, let's move on to the next horror movie. Um, if I had to, I'd pay like three bucks to see this again. Ooh, yeah. See, and I feel like I enjoyed it a lot less than you did because I wasn't oh, even wow. look- I wasn't even looking forward to it. I mean, the yeah. only thing that, that had me, the only thing that had me going was Guillermo del Toro, and even then, I was like, "Ah, oh, well, he's only producing. That 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 only means so much." Yeah, and uh, you maybe like he had some influence with the creature design, but you hardly ever see the creature uh, because I feel like all the budget went to Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons. <laughs> I was really looking forward to the monster, especially uh, like with Guillermo del Toro producing it so you would think like oh let me let me make a creature and (laughs) and it's like ah like well i wish i would have seen it (laughs) yeah like cinemark uh on their app whenever you go to buy them you know how like they have pictures like uh, of the movie that you're buying tickets for Mm. the picture for antlers is the poster and then someone sitting down with guillermo del toro on set 
Oh. And so you like, oh, Guillermo del Toro, I know this guy. Let me buy a ticket. But so it, you hardly felt his presence. Yeah. How unfortunate. All right. Well, you know what? Let's get out of Oregon. Uh, let's, hey, let's travel back in time, baby. Let's go yeah. across the pond. Let's let's go to 1960s London, baby. I'd I'd much rather do that than be in Oregon. Well, yeah. Let's this comes from writer director Edgar Wright, an aspiring fashion designer named Ellie, played by Thomas and Mackenzie, is mysteriously able to enter 1960s London, where she encounters a dazzling singer, Sandy, played by Anya Taylor Joy. However, the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far more dark. We also have, in the cast, Matt Smith, Terrence Stamp, Michael Ajayo, and Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg. She uh, just passed away last year. Yes, yes, so um, may she rest in peace. And also, screenwriting here, uh, not only is Edgar Wright writing this uh but we also have christy wilson karens is what we'll call her oh we're talking about last night in soho uh she co-wrote 1917 with sam mendes oh nice cool yeah well uh yeah i mean edgar wright i i think we're both fans of this director how can he not be Shaun of the dead yeah oh my god pilgrim baby driver jackson what did you think of last night in soho i uh so Coming out of it, I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, fuck, that was really good. Oh, so it's aging better for you as... Yeah, I, I really do think so. I'm watching it again on Wednesday. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, just to really see, like, to pick up on stuff that I... We all know that Edgar Wright would plant early on. Uh, he's notorious for his Easter eggs in movies and, like, subtle foreshadowing. Uh, there was something on IGN... Uh, that popped up on my YouTube recommended, like, did a rug in Shaun of the Dead just uh, flat out spill out the whole movie? And I'm like, what's that about? But I'm sure, like, Edgar Wright, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't watch the movie. I can't tell you what was going on there. Anyway. Wait, Shaun of the um, Dead? You haven't seen Shaun of the Dead? I No, I saw Shaun of the Dead. I didn't see the video where they're, like, oh, they're talking okay. about that rug. Gotcha. Anyway, Last Night in Soho. Fantastic. I saw this right after Antlers, and I... I'm so glad that I saw it in that order instead of the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so did I. Um, I, I. I will say I loved parts of this movie. I have problems with this movie more than I thought I would. And I think it comes from its narrative. And um, yes. I, I wanna, I'll get into the positives, of course, first. So uh, uh, Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy are just great in this movie. Uh, they Absolutely. fit their roles so well and seeing them act opposite of each other, which is kind of strange because they hardly ever interact with each other. It's still great. I mean, you get these characters from the get go. You know why Mackenzie loves. Uh, oh, I mean, you know why Ellie loves Sandy and the sequences are great. Edgar Wright. I mean, whoever is helping them edit these movies is doing a great job. I feel like the editors actually uh first time I, I have to look it up but i think it's the first time they actually collab uh for a oh movie. wow yeah i could uh, be no, wrong no they actually uh 
they collabed uh, first with The World's End, Scott Pilgrim, and Baby Driver. So they've been together for a while. Oh, then, I mean, it makes perfect sense because, I mean, the way everything is choreographed so well, some sequences are just great to look at. Um, There's a specific dance sequence I was in love with. And uh, and everything looks great. Uh, Obvious that it's going to look great. It's an Edgar Wright movie. And uh, the soundtrack is great. Uh, I, I love the soundtrack. I um, actually downloaded it on Spotify. So I'm going to be listening to that on my way to work. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the cast, everyone is casted so well in this movie. Um, I, the way certain people are written, I have a problem with. Uh, and I think I love half of this movie. And then I think the latter half kind of uh, filters off a little bit for me. Uh, I I think a few things... Uh, repeat a lot there's a lot of sequences mm-hmm. of uh just the scary guys in the suits uh yes um i visually i i didn't like them at all mm-hmm. uh, and uh they weren't scary to me uh, i i guess it's spoilers in a way but yeah, yeah um, a little bit uh yeah so Mackenzie starts seeing these uh ghosts these spirits and they don't look uh they just look boring to me and uh, i think maybe they could have held off on their designs until the end. And I feel like they could have gone a little bit more uh, creepy, a little bit more vague as to what they were. Uh, but aside from that, let me see. Um, I guess the logic of the movie too kind of uh, made me question things, especially at the end when uh, certain characters revealed to be uh, someone we didn't expect. I, I kind of called that. Uh, there was a red herring with another character that I yes. was like, from the get go, I was like, oh, that's this character. But uh, that was right here. Anyway, uh, I suspected that character to be uh, who they actually turn out to be. Okay. I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's... And sure enough, yeah. It was. I'm pretty sure Edgar Wright hired or collabed with this uh, screenwriter, uh, Christy Wilson uh, Karens, to help writing these female characters. And it shows... Uh, I think it really does. Yeah. And down to relationships between women as well. Uh, This is Edgar Wright's first movie with a female lead. And I feel like it's appropriate. I feel like maybe who knows, maybe he might've gotten backlash uh, for having a a woman centric movie, but two women at the center here and not have a female writer. You know, you need a female writer to write female voices, I believe. And yeah, I feel like that was absolutely necessary, just like The Last Duel. Exactly. And I feel like maybe Edgar Wright should have gotten a black writer to write a black character because I feel like Michael Joy's character was uh, very, very uh, just comical at times and just underwritten as a character. Yeah. And I feel like that actor has so much more potential to offer. And I feel like I could see a better role in this movie for him. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie does kind of follow some uh, horror tropes that I didn't expect Edgar Wright to fall uh, into. Ooh, like what? Or uh, is that spoilers? Uh, uh, yeah. I'll save them for spoilers. There's okay. uh, there's one actress that I wish would have fallen into a trope, and that is uh, Sinov uh, Carlson. She is the roommate. Of, yes, uh, uh, Jocasta. Yes, yeah, she is um, 
mean. <laughs> she is a terrible. <laughs> she is a terrible person, and I kind of wish they would have uh, killed her off. Spoilers: they don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, but maybe again, I would I would have been complaining like, oh, that there's a trope that they follow. But yeah, I, I feel like there's a few things that um, kind of the things play out, and they kind of feel a little underwhelmed to me. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the first time I kind of feel a little underwhelmed with the Edgar Wright movie. I'm not going to lie, but maybe that's because the bar has been so high. You know, I, I feel like he's kind of really, uh, well, Shaun of the Dead's great, uh, all the way up until Scott Pilgrim. I'm and, still riding the high off of Baby Driver. Yeah, yeah. and Oh my God, I can't stop thinking about that movie. And maybe because I haven't watched it as many times as you, but um, I remember Shaun of the Dead and Scott Pilgrim a lot more than Baby Driver. And I feel like Baby mm-hmm. Driver for me has kind of uh, just disappeared in my, my psyche. Yeah. Maybe I need to revisit it more to kind of fully And I need to it. revisit Shaun of the Dead. I actually just saw Shaun of the Dead for the first time this year. Oh, wow. At Alamo. Nice. nice. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Uh, any other things you wanted to uh, bring up that's non-spoiler? Um, hmm, let me see. I really love uh, the sound design because mm. in the beginning of the movie, I was like, this is kind of quiet because uh, she gets accepted to the to the school and she screams like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. And to me, that just sounded quiet. And I was like, I, I hope it's not my theater. Like, can they turn this up a little bit? Uh, but when she goes back in time for the first time, uh, when she exits that alley, you hear the uh, the theater and the surround sound kick in. And I got chills. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> of course. Uh he would do something and uh you got that every time you went back and forth it what a great and subtle way to it good sound design it really Mm -hmm. shows uh you i don't think you could have gotten the same experience at home this is definitely a movie you need to see in the theater yeah like uh, i will say that until the end of time because it's absolutely true Mm, yeah yeah definitely and uh terrence stamp uh, is great uh, another actor from the 60s and uh yeah i, I feel like uh again well casted uh matt smith i feel like maybe is um we see enough of him uh, and i know he's supposed to be a, a one-note kind of character for you know the purpose of the story but i mean if i didn't know who matt smith was um i don't know i, I think maybe uh i would like to see more of him in this movie but then um, I, again well what i want to see of you know him just being more of a an a hole, so yeah, uh, yeah. He he served his purpose. He was he was it was fun. He was charming in the beginning, and then he got mean when he needed to be. And yeah. uh, I think he played both sides of that great. Yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah, he was, I did want to see more of him though. Yeah, he was definitely he did, charming, uh, especially like towards the end. Kind of a mild spoiler. He just becomes the same kind of one note. Yeah. Uh, once that once he turns, but uh, yeah, he was. Everyone was good. Uh, great performances. Great writing. Um, I will agree with you that the narrative is messy, especially like towards the end. Once we start really getting into like, okay, but why? Who? Like, uh, once we start answering all the questions, uh, it is kind of a little messy. But the more you think about it, and in relation to the characters, the more it starts to make sense and click. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's why I want to. That's the main reason why I want to rewatch it. Yeah. Uh, just so that way I can get a better grasp of what. Uh, he and uh what both writers were trying to do yeah let me know because i mean i'm not sure if i'll get to rewatch this movie again 
but uh, I definitely want to talk about it once you see it a second time, see what you get out of it. Because I think okay. I, I think I got what I needed to out of uh, the first viewing. I, like, I, I don't think I missed anything. I will say I watched this pretty late in the theater. I watched it like after 10. And, oh, wow. And I was, okay, funny. I was actually in the middle of like getting sick watching this movie uh right up until it started like once i was in the theater i was kind of feeling sick something with my stomach but the movie started i'm like man i hope i don't like just have a bad experience because i'm just feeling like crap and it's getting late and i'm probably hungry and the popcorn's not gonna hold me but no actually um the opposite happened by the end of the movie i was i felt a lot better and i was fully immersed into this movie edgar wright no one does it quite like him (laughs) edgar wright cured me Thank you, sir. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, how would you, what would you rate it? Uh, an eight for now. Uh, okay. I wouldn't mind paying nine to see it again. Um, yeah, it's the story has a lot of potential, and I like what they do with it. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it gets a little messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, the more I think about it, the more it starts to make sense. And like, oh, okay, I see what they're trying to do. Yeah, uh, but uh, I really enjoyed my time with this. Definitely watch this in the theater. Mm-hmm. Don't wait and rent it on YouTube or something because you're not going to get the same experience off of a 32 inch screen flat screen. Yeah, uh, you need to see this in the theater with the surround sound. It, it, it it's an experience. Hey, and this if- is this is cinema, not <laughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> and hey, if you do have like an 80 inch TV and you have your surround sound hooked up to your living room. Go for it, by all means. Oh, yeah, go for but it. But I don't know if this is even streaming anywhere right now. Not yet. And I honestly don't know if it'll, like, eventually come to premium VOD or yeah. or if it's just going to get a, a traditional run where it's just in theaters and then six months later there's a Blu-ray. Yeah, it's great to see uh, movies starting to go back to the traditional route of coming out theatrically and having enough confidence for that. But, hey, uh, great. Uh, I'm glad. I, I would say, yeah, of course, go watch it. And I would give this, uh, I think this is a lower tier Edgar Wright for me. That's how I initially came out of it, yeah. Yeah, and, and I would give it a, a nice solid seven and a half. Okay. And, and that's, and I'm not, that's not a low ranking for me or a low rating for me at all. It, it, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I love the craft behind it. Uh, I love the cast. I love uh, the technical aspects from the music to how everything was shot and choreographed. I I was in all of this movie. I just wish the script was a little bit more fine-tuned. And I think okay. if it was, uh, this movie would have been one of my favorites of the year. And hey, a, a seven and a half, like that's low tier for Edgar Wright. But like, like we've said before... That's some that's some people's like best movies, yeah. you know, or better than some people's best. So it, it's definitely a good time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, for those who have seen it, let us know what you think. And uh, yeah, just get ready for spoilers. You've been warned. So uh, I guess Ellie's character here. And that's one of those things that I have to watch again and seeing maybe if it makes more sense to me. But does Ellie have like this supernatural power? It's not like fully explained what's what her deal is, yeah. uh, which kind of leads to some some fluidity in the rules and stuff that they established. But uh, 
it's all in her mind. Uh, we're completely seeing this whole movie through her eyes. Yeah. We don't really see it through any other character. It's just through Ellie. We're with we're with Ellie, and we're seeing everything that she's going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there's some uh, looseness with the rules, um, which allows them to be able to pull off some of the stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, so, yeah, it's not really. She just see, she sees her dead mom all the time. Yeah, that that was my first thing. I was like, okay, so she has some type of connection to the afterlife, I guess, with spirits, you know, uh, spirits yeah. who have gone past our world. And I was like, okay, so maybe that's a, a nice a nice setup for what's to come later. So I was under the impression that Ellie had a connection to Sandy. Now that Sandy is past, but it, it that's not the case that we see at the end. And that's the big reveal that right. uh, Diana Riggs character is actually Sandy. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> and, and the red herring here is uh, Terrence Stamp, who I thought the reveal was kind of, uh, to me, it was kind of lazy. Uh, I think uh, it was a red herring for the sake of being a red herring, whereas I think this movie would have been great if they would have stuck to Terrence Stamp's character being uh, Matt Smith's character. Because I thought once that whole scene happened where he gets hit by the car and dies, <laughs> that Ellie gets the reveal of, oh, no, that's not Jack. And I was like, are you kidding me? This entire time you didn't ask anybody, hey, what's that old man's name? So I can just clarify that that's the yeah. guy. And to me, I was like, oh, like, are you that stupid? I mean, I know you're... She thinks she has everything figured out, kind yeah, of. Yeah, that's fine. But I think... And then, like, the whole, like, that's where the... For me, the rules start coming to question. Because I thought, of course, Sandy's spirit was trying to reach out to Ellie. Like her mom kind of trying to reach out to her. And when... Diana Riggs character is like, oh, I'm Sandy. I'm like, okay, then how is she? How is she going to this world? There's of- all the dead people uh, under the floor. Mm-hmm. There's a hundred dead guys, and why she's not seeing it through their eyes, uh, I'm not sure. I because maybe there's that connection with mm-hmm. uh, Sandy still being there. Of course, she's the landlady. Yeah. Uh, maybe it uh, again, not really explained, but uh, I. There's death there. Mm, uh, yeah. She feels a certain presence in the apartment. Uh, so it, there's enough. There's there's a ground level. It's bare minimum. See, and I feel like one, I guess, message or theme that was very prominent in the movie, and I just feel like they should have really stuck it home, was the fact that nostalgia is probably the worst thing for somebody somebody to hold on to. Again, Jackson, I've said this again. I'm double vaccinated. I got the booster <laughs> on nostalgia. And I was in love with this movie with the idea of Mackenzie. I mean, she listens to her grandmother's records from the 60s. She is she is so engulfed in this like romanticized version of the 1960s to where it backfires on her. And I love that. I love that so much of nostalgia uh how it could cloud your judgment and your view of how it really was and i love absolutely i love that but at the end of the movie it kind of she kind of goes back to uh where she kind of began at the beginning where she loves 
she still loves the 1960s, even down to the fashion. Like, I thought it was such a powerful image of her sketch of Sandy's uh, pink dress burning. I'm like, okay, that's Mm -hmm. so great. But at the end, her fashion show, it's just Sandy's wardrobe. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess you're still in love with the 60s. Okay. Uh, I think it would have been great to see that fashion show, but like it'd be her, truly her, and like not really her love for the 60s. I, I kind of wish that would have been dead. Like, I wish she would have killed her nostalgic love for the 60s and like kind of embrace herself and move forward with her life. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, yeah, I would have liked that. I and mean, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess she gets the best of both worlds. She can have her cake and eat it too. Yeah, I, she sees her mom and she sees Sandy at the end. She does the little touch and then the cut to the title. I I love that little edit. I love that so much. I love how uh, I I think it would have been one of those like like Antler how it was like a bleak ending like oh like uh oh yeah and it would have been great because that's that was my reaction. I was like oh no she's still here that freaking lady <laughs> Sandy's still here <laughs> with her uh, and um, I don't know like. I, I kind of wish uh, the part where that guy gets run over and the big reveal is that Sandy's really trying to, uh, her spirit, you know, like Dan or Rick's characters has nothing to do with Sandy. And it's Sandy's character, her spirit that is uh, wanting to seek revenge or, or, or somehow something like that. I mean, I'm not a writer by any means and they, they could, they did a lot better job than I would, uh, the writers here. But I, I don't know. It just felt like uh, very conflicting uh, messages. And yeah, because whenever it's like, oh, I'm the one who actually like it's because uh, we see Sandy get killed, uh, and then it turns out Sandy killed Matt Smith's character, mm-hmm. and then she's like, I killed a hundred people. It's like, okay, what's the message? What what are we doing here now? Because mm-hmm. the whole time you have this whole message of. Uh, how rough it was in the 60s the 60s aren't all what they were crept up to be you know Mm -hmm. uh and then once they introduce that it feels like that kind of muddies that whole message that we were building up Mm -hmm. it uh yeah it didn't sit right yeah it would have been so great to see you know i'm now clicking my head to see sandy possess Mackenzie to the point where sandy's main objective is to kill terrence stamp's character who is really Matt Smith and yeah. for Mackenzie to overcome that and say, you know what? Y- yeah. You killed all these hundred men, but I'm not going to let you kill this man. You know, we, we have to, we, we have to find another way to bring him to justice, you know, in, in the modern way back in the sixties, mm-hmm. I'm sure you would have killed him, And uh, you know, uh, you got away with the hundred murderers. So the, you won't get away with this last one. Yeah. And it's, times are different you know you have to deal with it in a modern way again are they really different though men are still acting the same yeah but it would have been great for women to take the high road and you know really stick it to the man by i don't know incarcerating him or Ah, who doesn't like a good revenge story though yeah it's true but it would have been again it kind of goes it falls into that trope that horror even that revenge trope yeah it would have been cool to kind of uh do something a little bit different a little bit more clever so uh, but that's just me. Uh, again, not taking anything away from everything else that I loved about the movie. 
Yeah. Oh my God. The editing, like the fact that it really feels like you're in a dream, like every, like, like that dance sequence you were talking about, Mm -hmm. how like every turn it was either Anya or it was Mackenzie. I can't wait to see the behind the scenes of that. Oh my God. Yeah. How did they film that? Yeah. Because, you know, like there's that mirror trick in Terminator where it's like, it's not actually Arnold and, and they have that, you know, Mm -hmm. how it's like a, a mirror. Yeah. So I wonder like how often they use that. And like, because there's like real reflections or so we think, you know, mm-hmm. it's it, so wonderful. The editing was great. Uh, and I love Edgar Wright's direction. Uh, it's that's the best part of the movie, of course. Yeah, the highlight for me actually was like you mentioned when she first has that first dream and enters 1960s London. I don't know how we got away with that, but it looked great. I mean, it looked Everything looked great. I'm sure there was some CGI in there somewhere, but everything looked great down to where we see the uh, Thunderball uh, poster hanging outside of a theater. It looked, yeah, it was beautiful, very beautiful. I love that we were able to see the the dream of the 1960s that Ellie has uh, turn into a nightmare. Yes, uh, yeah. and it's like it sounds so like uh, cliche, but it's pulled off really well, and I really enjoyed that, and uh, it it really makes it hit home more because we're going through all of this through Ellie's shoes mm-hmm. yeah. and we're seeing everything like, uh, uh, even the, the sequence where all the, the men in the suits, the faceless men, mm-hmm. they're chasing her. And the, it's, uh, there's always something to remind me playing yes. while she's running. Great sequence. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Uh, it's Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright shines through like in every crack of this movie. Yeah, and I would love for him to uh, kind of do more of this, do more of a, a kind of straight thriller suspense type of movie. Um, I know he kind of did his parody with uh, Shaun of the Dead, but I, I feel like uh, he can succeed even more if just fully embracing uh, a movie like this. Kind of how, yeah. we, how we're seeing uh, Jordan Peele kind of go into it, like he's kind of... Uh, letting go of the comedy and kind of going straight into his horror. Uh, you know, he, he's starting to play with his horror now. And, and I, I would love for Edgar Wright to do more of this. Me too. Uh, it's great that he got his start with comedy horror. And this is more of a horror movie. And I just wanted to see more horror movies. Yeah, bring it on. Maybe it's, and, and I still got that hangover. Something's still <laughs> clouding over my mind. Maybe that's what it is. But uh I, I want to see at least, like, three more horror movies from Edgar Wright. He's he's so good at it. Well, I, I mean, it, it seems like you're fully cured from your Halloween hangover. I, I think Edgar Wright, like me, cured you. Yeah, I think it's all out of my system now. Yeah, great. Well, now we can look forward to November. And yeah. you know what? Let's, let's not make this an ordinary... November with uh, the Thanksgiving at the end. Let's make it a little, a little, a little celebration. You know, yeah, Christmas. No, no, no. No. Dang it! Oh, you too, huh? They got you fooled. You know what? I'm gonna dedicate my life to making nothing but Thanksgiving movies. (laughs) I'm gonna make a Thanksgiving. That's good. We need more of those. Yes, we do, and I'll make sure we get them. Damn it! The turkey gets the revenge. Yes, horror, uh, comedy, romance, every type of genre. I'm gonna make a western damn thanksgiving movie a turkey baby yeah a little turkey yeah just call it turkey (laughs) turkey uh and you know what let's make it a dr november 
Why not? Uh, yeah. Uh oh. Oh, yeah. Are you talking about the man himself? Yes, the the man who's uh, aged gracefully, I would say. L- let's talk about James Bond. Maybe not some of the movies. Oh well, we'll, we'll get into <laughs> that. Let me tell you, I I think it's time we bring back. You know, so nice we have to do it twice. Movie madness. Yes. I want to use this month to determine what is the best James Bond 007 movie. Because the age-old question. Age-old question. And we're going to tr- determine it here. We've done it before with horror. Of uh, I don't know what. I think we've only done horror. Kaijus. Kaijus. Uh, we did the best movie of the past decade. Yeah. So, you know what? Let's. We have to do it again. We're gonna do movie madness to 007, and we just and what a perfect time we just got done with uh, a saga of uh, Daniel Craig James Bond. So between... yeah, you might have noticed we didn't talk about that in our uh, last episode. No, we didn't, and for good reason because we're actually gonna we're gonna tackle that movie and uh, some of the other heavy hitters here. We picked sixteen of the best James Bond movies. I think there is a total of uh, about 20-some? 25. This is Bond 25. Bond 25. Look at that. We have come a long way, wouldn't you say? Yeah, 1962. Actually, Jackson, you, uh, well, as well me, but I feel like this was your first time kind of jumping into the franchise as a whole. It was. Um, I'd always heard about 007. I'd seen Pierce Brosnan uh, and Halle Berry. I'd seen Die Another Day always on the TV, um, but I'd never actually seen it. Uh, I remember seeing Skyfall, uh, but I don't remember anything about it. So going into I, I going into No Time to Die, I wanted to finally sit down and watch all, watch all of these movies for the first time because uh, it there's Bond references. Uh, Austin Powers is dedicated. It's a movie <laughs> about a you know. It permeates our pop culture to this day. Yeah, my introduction to James Bond was actually Austin Powers, uh, (laughs) because there's so much influence uh, to it's a downright parody of James Bond. And yeah, and it's no wonder that uh, this one right here that you're showing me, this is the movie where I was like, it's no wonder that James Bond got parodied so much. Like, (laughs) have you seen these movies? (laughs) Yeah, so I guess let's jump right into our list here, and we're going to go... Uh, so we picked 16 of the best, uh, according to the critics out there, the the best 16 007 movies, and we rank them, and we're going to have them go head-to-head, and down to when we determine what's the best James Bond movie. And here at the number 8 seed, we have 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service... Starring everybody's favorite James Bond, you know, uh, George Lazenby. And <laughs> and going up against the number nine seed a whole decade after, uh, 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me, starring Roger Moore. Yes. So, uh, uh, our boss, uh, real, real quick little oh, tidbit, our yes. former boss uh, cooked a meal for Roger Moore up in Chicago. Yeah, kudos to him. They, they. He... I, I have a connection to. Uh, I'm two degrees away from Roger Moore. Look at that. And so I guess Jackson, I, I kind of will. I'll navigate our list here, and since you kind of delved into this whole franchise uh, from the beginning, uh, I kind of want 
you to kind of commentate on these movies here because I'm very curious to see what or listen to what you have to say about this franchise all the way from the beginning. I know we're kind of starting in the middle here, but we'll eventually get to uh, the first James Bond movie. I guess we'll talk about Mr. Connery over there. But yes. first, uh, these... Sir Sean Connery to you. Sir, yes, sir. Rest the, in peace. The late Rest and power. great Sir Sean Connery. Uh, so Jackson, I mean, uh, let, let's talk about these two movies, and I guess we'll uh, at the end kind of make our own picks yeah uh on her majesty's secret service is uh the only one featuring george lazenby because after this movie came out he got real heavy into stardom uh he went down on the the bad path that celebrities can often take and uh he got a little reckless and the producers were like if this isn't James Bond. You have to act like James Bond on and off camera. You have to be a gentleman. And you're not acting like a gentleman. So uh, he only got this one movie. And then next we get Roger Moore. Uh, despite Who Loved Me, uh, not the first one, obviously. But this one is my favorite Roger Moore uh, Bond movie. It, this one's, I think this one has everything. Uh, I really like uh, George Lazenby as James Bond. He wears a kilt. <laughs> and uh, there's another poster where he he's just straight up wearing a kilt. And I love that. Uh, it takes James Bond in a different direction, you know, um, even subtly. But uh, I really liked J- George Lazenby as Bond. And I'm honestly a little upset that we didn't get to see more of him because I think he uh, he for his first venture, he did damn good. And I c- could only imagine what he would have been able to do, like if he got more time as Bond. Um, these two are a great match for uh, the first little bracket here that we're talking about. Uh, in my ranking, I have them all ranked. They're actually ten movies apart, but uh, they're not. This one—it's it, not a bad match. I would have to go with this by Who Loved Me. Uh, mm. It's my five uh, out of all twenty-five. This is number five. Oh wow! Uh, so I would have to go with. The spy who loved me. Okay, yeah, I, I would agree with you as well. It is a shame that we didn't get to see more of Lazenby, and also it's not fair for him to come straight off of Sean Connery. I'm that too. I'm pretty sure producers and writers, whoever directors, were telling him, you know, uh, uh, try to act more like Sean Connery. Uh, and yeah, it's not fair. And I'm sure with a few more movies under his belt, he would have really made it his own. Yeah, just like Roger Moore, whenever he first came into the role with, uh, oh, what was it? Let me see. Live and Let Die, of course. Uh, They were telling him, like, uh, basically just be like Sean Connery. Yeah. But with Roger Moore and the way he was acting, that just didn't, that didn't mesh. And so Roger Moore took Bond into his own different direction and for the better, uh, because he really makes, uh, he there's a run for his money, like as to who's the best Bond up until like then. Um, there's a legitimate argument. Uh, it's again, like what's the best Bond movie and who's the best Bond, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's it, Roger Moore definitely gives Sean Connery a run for his money. Yeah. Especially when you see him uh, go through these movies, I think gradually he becomes a lot more lighthearted and humorous compared to yes. Connery. And, yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, I I guess we'll talk about who is our favorite uh, James Bond and we maybe even rank the James Bond actors who've uh, portrayed him. But 
uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Roger Moore definitely does uh, really holds his own uh, in this character. And I feel like the franchise kind of gets a little bit more fun with Roger Moore. And it gets a little goofy, too. <laughs> a lot, very goofy and uh, very cheesy. And I feel like uh, with James Bond, I feel like that's necessary. I feel like if you kind of uh, put a, make a list of things that what makes James Bond so iconic, some of those things on that list are bound to be goofy. Yeah, like the one-liners. Yes, uh, the quips. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even the villains. I mean, they, they seem like they could be Batman comic book villains. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I would have to go with Roger Moore, especially this movie, for sure. Uh, and, man, uh, there's a universe out there where uh, Mr. Lazenby was a good boy and got to play uh, this role a little bit longer, but maybe who knows? And we never would have gotten Roger Moore's Bond. Exactly. Who knows? All right. Well, that's our pick, but of course, we're going to leave that up to the internet to decide. So we don't have the final yeah, say. Don't make the polls like what we want. Let the people decide. We want to hear you and what yes. you would rather choose. Let the people speak. Vote, damn it. Democracy. All right. And let's move on to the next one here. Uh, finally, we're going to talk about the number three seed. Number three. Dr. No. The the one that started it all. We got 1962 here, uh, the year they came out, with Sean Connery. Finally, Sean Connery's on the list. And who is he going up against? Well, 1967's Sean Connery. Uh, <laughs> you Only Live Twice. That's the number 14 seed here. And yeah, so uh, you're shocked that it's number three? Uh, Dr. No is probably like the most boring James <laughs> Bond, especially when we get into that second half, like when they arrive on the beach, mm -hmm. it all just kind of grinds to a halt. Uh, and it just never feels as exciting as it was leading up to, even though we're at the final set piece, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I see why it became a franchise. Like, uh, it's Dr. No, it's the one that started it all. It's, it's on this bracket for a reason. Um, actually, funny enough, I actually have You Only Live Twice as my number 14 as well. Oh. Uh, yeah. It, I actually think it's my second uh, Sean Connery. And uh, Dr. No would have to be like my third, if not the, the last one. It, it's It gets so boring at the end. <laughs> and You Only Live Twice starts out great uh i believe this is the one where uh it starts out with uh there's a spaceship an american spaceship that's uh kidnapped in space by specter but of course the americans don't know that and they blame it on russia cold war uh and it's it's a great thriller right from the get-go and then an hour and 15 minutes into it they uh there's a plot point where uh Sean Connery goes in disguise as a Japanese man <laughs> and they flat out say, uh, in order for this to work, you have to become Japanese. They put makeup on him. Uh, they give him a little wig. Uh, yeesh. Uh, other than that, I think he only lived twice is pretty darn good, but, uh, of course these are made in the sixties. There are some glaring issues with, uh, a large majority of the Bond movies. But looking past that, uh, uh, I would rather, uh, I would vote for You Only Live Twice. Uh, Dr. No is just, it gets boring. And 
I'm surprised uh, that the Bond girl was nominated for a Golden Globe. Well, I mean, it's a Golden Globe, but uh, <laughs> she was nominated for this role. Uh, and I thought there have there are much better Bond girls, and they weren't nominated. So I, I don't know what the Hollywood Foreign Press was on whenever they nominated her. No. I thought she was just as boring as the second half is. Oh, uh, maybe there was a drought that year. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, <laughs> you talk about the master of disguise here, uh, James Bond. He does <laughs> he does it all. You know, he's got the wacky gadgets. He's got to put on some prosthetics and uh, act like another ethnic uh, group. You know, it makes sense. He's a spy, but that doesn't make it better to look at. <laughs> he has to do what he has to do in order to save the world, Jackson. You know, it's I'd do the same thing if I were him, if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh i would actually have to go with number three i would i would have to go with dr no i oh wow i i i like the slow paceness i i think it's a very very suave it takes its time you know not everything has to be action paced i know gradually in the movies kind of things pick up a lot more uh every movie even throughout the entire franchise i think over time things just get bigger and uh more grand and uh uh, things i mean obviously technology and what have you and we've come so far from the 60s of filmmaking so uh i appreciated dr no uh, i mean it was the first james bond movie and also i just need to really quick bring up that james bond the character is from author ian fleming and he actually yes. thought about james bond and came up with the concept uh when he was on vacation, and he was actually boarding the train uh, with the numbers 007. So, wow. and from that, it spawned nine novels and two short stories. So, uh, shout out to Ian Fleming. Thank you for bringing up this great character. And uh, I love the lore behind James Bond so much. I love. Yeah, there, there's a lot uh, that this, that Dr. No establishes, and it feels so natural. Yes. And it, it and it doesn't seem like, and we'll talk about another uh, saga of James Bond, where it doesn't seem like it's setting up uh, for the sake of setting up. It, it just feels like natural world building. Yeah, uh, I will uh, say that I think there's another Sean Connery movie, the next one after Dr. No, actually, from Russia with Love, mm. that does the suave, uh, very gentleman, uh, slow pacedness of uh, what Dr. No establishes. Better than Dr. No. I think that movie is like Sean Connery's best. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to bring that up when we got there. But yeah, I, I do. Oh, okay, cool. I, I do agree with you. So let's move on. Uh, I think the first time we're on opposite ends with this one. So it's going to yeah. be interesting to see which one comes up out on top. I think Dr. No is going to just from uh, name recognition. Yeah, and, and it's called Dr. November. Yeah. So it's, yeah got some strong legs uh and now we're going to kind of deviate a little bit from uh the golden era of james bond and uh we're going to talk about uh some new and some old here uh number four seat is casino royale 2006 this is the first daniel craig james bond movie going up against the number 15 seed uh roger moore oh wait i, I thought we were talking about uh, Dalton. I don't know why. I'm um, sorry. Ah. We're going back to Roger Moore here in 1981's For Your Eyes Only. And I guess we, we can kind of kind of uh, lead our way into uh, No Time to Die, which we'll talk about at the end here with the ranking. But 
Uh, what did you think of Casino Royale? I really liked Casino Royale. Mm, okay. Um, especially going through all the Bond movies in chronological order, mm-hmm. as uh, as much as that was to get through. Uh, when I was finally sitting down and watching Casino Royale, um, I really like what they're. See, okay, you you said something just a little while ago that, uh, and I think I know how you feel about these Daniel Craig movies, just based off of that. Um, <laughs> I like the fact that uh, they're setting up uh, that they made Daniel Craig's story a, a full, cohesive uh, five-movie arc, if you will. Okay. I like that aspect. And so, like, I get the, the fact that it's like a serial novel, you know, uh, just a little one-off thing. But I like seeing the the growth because that would happen. Uh, and you kind of get that with the other Bonds, but it's not like to the same extent as they do with Daniel Craig. Uh, I really like the the seeds that they planted with mm. Casino Royale. Okay, yeah. And uh, for your eyes only, a fun little fact about this. Uh, at the end of The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, it said, James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. However, there's a movie in between these two, and it's Moonraker. <laughs> Uh, Spike Who Loved Me came out in 77, same year Star Wars, and they decided to capitalize on space, and so they made Moonraker real quick, and they rushed it out the door, <laughs> and it paid off. Uh, I think adjusted for inflation, it's still like one of the highest grossing Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it, I mean, it got the job done, but it's one of the worst ones. Um, <laughs> and For Your Eyes Only uh, is... It's uh, only marginally better. I mean, it's a much better movie than Moonraker is, but in the grand scheme of Bond, um, this one just like uh, it's like okay, let, let's let's tone it down. Let's let's start to get back. Let's 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 scale it back. Um, they're just doing it. Becomes uh, just parody. Like it's doing the most, and it's just uh, kind of sticking to that while. It, Am I making any sense? No, no, I, I get you. I totally. Yeah, it's just a, uh, it's just kind of a, a mess. Mm. I don't know. It just kind of becomes one note, especially after seeing. Maybe that's what it was. I was seeing them one right after another, mm-hmm. and this just felt so samey. It, it just, this one just got lost in the shuffle for me. Nothing really stood out. Um, Roger Moore is being Bond. There's a bad guy. There's a sexy woman. Uh, there's gadgets, explosions, planes, trains, automobiles. <laughs> Uh, I you know what? Yeah, it's, it's so funny how both I feel like Roger Moore and Sean Connery, especially when you look at the filmography of each, how they just shoot out movie year after year. You know what I mean? Like it's I, I Doctor No uh, with uh, from Russia with Love and Goldfinger, which we'll talk about later. Uh, they all come out you one after another, sixty two, sixty three, sixty four. In my head, I'm like, how did they even have the time to shoot these movies? And I get it, especially with Sean Connery. They're obviously uh, less of a budget. But at the same time, I mean, it's a movie. And that takes a lot of time, especially back then when you're dealing with actual film and audio and, and how things ran back then. But I feel like Roger Moore, I feel like once they solidified, okay, this guy's our next Bond and we're going to have him for a while. I feel like they just worked him over time compared to Sean Connery and I'm sure he had fun and he had, I mean, he had a beautiful life uh, from the success of his role, but man, I, it's just shocking to me how, uh, just how 
quickly and fast all these movies just came out, especially compared to uh, Pierce Brosnan and uh, Casino Royale. I mean, Daniel Craig and how they kind of took their yeah. time with those movies. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, crazy to me how how well these movies came out, too. Like, uh, we have some uh, ruts in there from both Connery and Moore. Not going to yeah. lie, but uh, for the most part, I think, and I will say this, most of this list is Sean Connery. That does I mean, we gathered this from the critics. Uh, yeah, so that's true. It, that wouldn't, that doesn't surprise me. They're on a uh, Sean Connery high. So uh, yeah, no. nostalgia kills. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, but going back to Daniel Craig and look, I, I like, I like what they're, they did. I, in fact, I will say Casino Royale is probably my second favorite of the Daniel Craig movies. Just going to tell you right yeah, off the bat right same. there. But um, I, I liked it. <laughs> You're talking about how Moonraker was kind of uh, in result of Star Wars. I feel mm -hmm. like this movie was a result from James uh, Jason Bourne. That, yep. I was going to bring that up. Down to the very uh, opening scene of Casino Royale. Uh, and, and even throughout the franchise, too. I feel like they kind of uh, went away from it after Quantum of Solace, which mm -hmm. is not on this list. And I'll say right off the bat, is probably the most boring of the Daniel Craig movies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but... they, they only uh, they don't mention Qual Quantum of Solace like hardly ever in the mm -hmm. other Daniel Craig movies. Mm -hmm. uh, the only mentions they get is like you see uh, Thomas Matthew, uh, his like picture inspector. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's like that that's no all. one talks about Quantum <laughs> of Solace. I will say I still liked I, I enjoyed it. It's yeah. not the best one. But it, I enjoyed it. I kind of fell asleep rewatching Quantum of Solace. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, and, and that movie has its own problems. But luckily, we don't have to talk about it. Uh, but Casino Royale, uh, yeah, it's great. It's a great origin for James Bond. And I feel like a lot of things get resolved later in the in, in his saga, which is great. I, I'm not opposed to them setting up and kind of world building uh, its own franchise. I'm okay with that. I feel like the franchise in itself uh, within... Uh, Daniel Craig's movies uh, they don't really stick the landing for me and I feel like they set themselves up to where the end result kind of just fell flat for me and we'll talk okay. about a few of those uh, later down the line but yeah I, I like Casino Royale a lot I'm I'm kind of shocked it's as high as it is uh, especially compared to another uh, Daniel Craig movie uh, mm. yeah but which we'll get into but even saying all that I do favor Casino Royale over uh, For Your Eyes Only. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all I have to say about that. And I guess we'll talk more about Casino Royale with the other Daniel Craig movies because they kind of go hand in hand. It's all leading yeah. to something. Anyways, let's move on to... Oh, wait, you picked Casino Royale, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. For Your Eyes Only is like bottom five of my of Bond for me. Yeah. It just, it's, uh, it's nothing spectacular. It, it's a Bond movie. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our number six one. We're coming back to uh, Sean Connery. Uh, Thunderball came out from uh, in 1965, and it's going up against the number 11 seed. Entering the fight here is uh, Timothy Dalton in 1989's License to Kill. 
I liked Thunderball. Uh, I liked the opening sequence, and then he puts on that helmet. He puts on that jetpack, <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, okay, this movie's gonna be silly. <laughs> uh, so it, it just kind of went downhill for me from there. Oh, um, uh, a lot of people like this one. Uh, this one is Sean Gunn's favorite, or James Gunn's favorite Bond. Um, it was featured in Last Night in Soho. Mm-hmm. Um, what I am impressed. Uh, how they shot a lot of it underwater. I can't even begin to imagine how difficult that would have been with film. Yeah. Uh, so it that's a great novelty in and of, in and of itself. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this one, eh, I'm not crazy about it. It's uh, uh, this one's one of the ones where this was like the second to last, mm-hmm. uh, or it was going to be the second to last for <laughs> Sean Connery. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of it you definitely feel that it's like oh, okay here we're just kind of going through it now. Okay, uh, I I feel like they embraced the wackiness of James Bond. I mean, we're in the mid '60s at this point, so everything's gonna be really flashy and over the top. And I enjoyed it a lot. That's true. I I liked it. I I think it's uh, just goofy. I mean, okay, I know we're gonna talk about this uh, very uh, just spoiler about the list we're going to talk about a very famous uh title in the james bond uh franchise but i will say my favorite james a uh, 007 video game is nightfire i think it's very underrated uh maybe it's a nostalgia talking but i love that video game so much because you get to freaking play multiplayer on the freaking moon <laughs> it's great i've never heard of that yeah nightfire uh check it out if I mean, if you could rent it anywhere, but anyways, uh, I just love that whole goofy side of of James Bond that he goes to space. Uh, he's an international yeah. spy, so why not tackle the moon? Intergalactic <laughs> spy. So yeah, and for him to have a jetpack, it, it just plays into that whole aspect of James Bond that I feel like needs to be more embraced. Yeah, maybe because the goofiness is really what throws me off. Mm. About this one, um, I think it's too goofy. Okay. Uh, it's the, in the poster, he's not wearing a helmet. The jetpack looks cool, but in the movie, he's got this helmet yeah. on and like <laughs> it, it. It's very goofy and it's very silly. Um, and maybe that's because I wasn't expecting that. The <laughs> intro is is great. I loved that intro, and he gets away in the jetpack, and it's like oh, okay. And like I said, the rest of the movie just kind of plays out with that that goofiness overtone just kind of hanging over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked, uh, for me, I like it whenever they can find a great balance between yeah. the, where it's not overly silly, but it's not overly serious. It's taking itself way too seriously. Yeah. Uh, this one is too goofy for my taste. Okay. Uh, and for license to kill. Oh yeah. Tim- um, Timothy Dalton. Uh, what do you think about him as? I like him as as Bond. I I think he's great. Uh, I've always seen Timothy Dal like uh, before. I knew that he was Bond. I always got this air about him that he should be. If if he wasn't Bond, that was a missed <laughs> opportunity. And I'm so glad he was because I mean he's perfect for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like uh, his first one more, uh, The Living Daylights, more than this one because yeah. I don't think that this one really has any reason to be a 007 movie. Oh, okay. Uh, the whole reason, like, the whole thing about this one is that he's he's out on his own and out for revenge. Like, 
you don't really get any of the typical James Bond stuff. You get like money pennies there. Or is she even uh, Q's there? Mm-hmm. Uh, you get you see M. Uh, you you see everybody, but it doesn't feel like a Bond movie. And if it wasn't tied to the 007 franchise, this would just be any other action movie from the time. Uh, it doesn't have any of the the typical gadgets, the gadgetry, uh, the the landmarks that really make a 007 movie. They're all missing here because he's out on his own. Mm. So I mean, it's it's good. It just doesn't. Uh, it doesn't feel like a Bond movie. It's not my first uh, instinct when I think of Bond. Ooh, so then you might have a tough choice between these two then. Um, in my ranking, yeah. uh, I have License to Kill over Thunderball. So I think I'm just going to go, I'm just going to refer to my ranking for this. Okay. Uh, if you want to see my full list, the list that I keep mentioning, it's on Letterboxd. Follow me on Letterboxd uh, at JacksonDML. Dang, that's what uh, I forgot to do. I forgot to rank these on Letterboxd. Oh, There'll be plenty of time. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna uh, ha- I'm gonna have to go with the Thunderball uh, again. Yeah, wow. against the nostalgia and the jetpack. I, I, I think we need to see the jetpack come back. I, if they're ever, oh, they're going to. But when they you get do, the- uh, there is a shot of it. Like there's, uh, I think it's in one of the uh, Pierce Brosnan movies where they're mm-hmm. like in the basement and with with Q, and you see the jetpack there in the uh, background. Yeah, I feel like when we get the next. James Bond. I hope they go a totally different direction compared to the Daniel Craig, where I feel like that uh, part of James Bond is just very gritty and dark and uh, overly just uh, trying to be uh, like uh, Jason Bourne in a sense. I feel like uh, later in the movies they kind of drift away from that and they kind of embrace what James Bond is finally, especially in. Uh, skyfall which we'll talk about later Ah, yeah (laughs) but uh i really hope they embrace the silliness i I really hope they kind of bring back the jetpack i hope he goes into space i want to see like the cartoonish villains come back yeah like have some fun with it because we got all of that out of our system there's five movies of that Mm -hmm. with quantum being like the most bogged down by the overly serious stuff yeah uh we've already done all that it's a new bond do something new with it. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Bring back the silliness. Bring it on. But not too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, yeah, we're split here. Uh, but let's see this next one. Finally, we're here. Uh, so funny enough, you're talking about uh, Timothy Dalton. You liking the uh, this one more than uh, License to Kill. But this one's actually just under uh, License to Kill. And that's the number and 12 And how you seed. were saying about uh, Quantum or... Casino Royale with uh, this other one. Yeah. Yeah. Funny enough. And I was talking about uh, the number 12 seed, 1987's The Living Daylight, starring Timothy Dalton. And going up against the number five seed here is 2012's Skyfall, starring Daniel Craig. Um, yeah. I. It's so funny. There's some history behind Skyfall. And out of. This is like the midway. This is the midway point of Daniel Craig's uh, movies, and it feels so far removed from the rest of the movies. And I feel like that's why I love it a lot more. Uh, there's and there's a reason behind that too, but I feel like it's such a. It feels like a standalone James Bond movie. Yeah, and 
it, it feels like it takes a break from its own storyline a bit because and and I'll tell you why because there's actually a legal battle going on for the usage of Spectre. They it felt like Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace was leading to something and then yeah. kind of Skyfall kind of takes a break. It's like, "Eh, we'll we'll come back to that later." <laughs> and and that's because they couldn't use Spectre because of the whole like legal things behind it and MGM and all these things were uh were actually in court at the time. So Wow. And and that's the reason why uh it kind of took a break from what I was trying to lead into and I I feel like it worked for the better cuz Skyfall is the only was the only James Bond movie I saw in the theater. And I, I think, was just about to ask about that. And I think it was the only James Bond movie that I, uh, I think watched compared, uh, uh, before then. So I think, yeah, Skyfall at the time was the only James Bond movie I had seen, and I loved it. And maybe it was the hype surrounding it. You know, you had Adele with that great song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just the spectacle of everything behind it. Like I remember the marketing behind this. It seemed like. If Skyfall wasn't going to win Best Picture at the Oscars, uh, the world was going to riot. That's how much, like, so much was building off of this one movie. And, yeah. And that's because, like, for people who never seen Casino Royale or uh, Quantum of Solace, but, and that's crazy, too, because I remember Quantum of Solace kind of, like, not doing so well critically and financially compared to Casino Royale. But Skyfall, I think it's still, it might be the highest grossing uh, hey, James Bond there. Yeah, this one killed it in every single aspect. This is my favorite Bond movie. It's the best Bond movie they've ever made. You can quote me on that. Okay. And I think it's the best Bond movie that they will ever make. Yeah. I don't know how you can top Skyfall. It's it's uh it's so good. It's not perfect. No. But God, it's it's it does everything that it's it's quintessential Bond. Mm-hmm. If you want to show if someone's never seen a Bond movie, I'm showing them Skyfall. This is what it's all about. Yeah, and it was great to finally see, especially watching the Daniel Craig movies, like back to back to back, because I only seen Skyfall. I was kind of like thrown off with the first two movies. I was like, how does this even connect to Skyfall? And then Skyfall doesn't at all. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. like, hey, it, it, don't worry about It's all about interrupted by a terrorist attack. And like story-wise, like overarching, it, it makes sense. Like we have to take a break from what we've been setting up because we got to deal with this terrorist now. Yeah. And it's great. I, I, I'm i I'm with you. I This is my favorite one. And maybe there's a little bit of nostalgia to that, too. But, yeah. And this movie's almost 10 years old. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah. It, it was great. I, I enjoyed it watching it in the theater. And I enjoyed it even more re-watching it now. Uh, and then you have uh, Javier Bardem is great. <laughs> oh my god he's so good he continues and, uh, the tradition of disfigured uh villains <laughs> i i love like how they incorporate so many different aspects from so many different bond movies mm-hmm. and it makes it its own yes like you get the the spy turned terrorist from goldeneye and mm-hmm. they do it so much better in this one yes yeah every yeah as far as everything's kind of disconnected from the other movies yeah it's still plays into that world that it's setting up like it's it feels like a side quest but the side quest is much more interesting than the main storyline yeah yeah and and it's a fun time uh but hey let's show some love to the living daylights timothy dalton this is only 
it's crazy. He's only been James Bond twice. Yes, and, and both of I his actually movies have made it on the list. So that's great. I'm glad because uh, mm. he deserves to be. He deserves. I think Timothy Timothy Dalton's Bond deserves more love than I feel like he gets in pop culture. Yeah. Um, I actually have uh, a little tidbit about why he only got two movies as oh, compared okay. to everybody else who got so many. Uh, MGM was sold in 1990, and this started a series of events that led to Eon Productions suing them over certain rights to the James Bond films. Mm. Uh, I actually should have talked about this with the other one, but uh, anyway, this resulted in a six-year hiatus between the films, uh, the longest since the franchise began in 1962. Wow. Uh, with the next film continuously being pushed back until Timothy Dalton resigned from the role in April of 1994. It was announced less than two months later that Pierce Brosnan would be the name new James Bond. And you know what's great? I'm not sure if I, I can't because I, they're kind of blurry. If I'm going to be honest, the Pierce Brosnan ones are kind of blurry to me. They all That's kind of fair. they all are in one big movie. But uh, it, it was great sport of Timothy Dalton to show up in one of the movies uh, with Pierce Brosnan. Oh, he did. What? Yeah. Yeah. Did was, I miss that? I think you did. Uh, there's a scene where he is, which is the one where he's sword fighting or fencing. Oh, that was Die Another Day. Maybe that's why I missed it. I was just like, ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Tim- <laughs> Timothy Dalton is the one uh, fighting him in that scene. No, he's not. Are you sure? Yeah, that it's that's the the villain. That's the little pompous rich boy. Timothy Dalton is in one of the Pierce Brosnan movies. Hold up. Let me see. No, I don't think he is. Oh, fuck all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who was I seeing then? Oh, my God. Okay. I think it was a fever dream. I, I <laughs> It must be. <laughs> I packed a lot of James Bond movies in the past couple of months, weeks. <laughs> it's all running together. It's all... The year's been flying by fast and watching a bunch of James Bond movies all in one go. That doesn't help. Sorry, I was wrong, ladies and gentlemen. I'm an idiot. Uh, (laughs) Timothy Dalton is not in another James Bond movie aside from the ones he led. Anyways, I think it's no shocker. Uh, We both are going to pick Skyfall, right? Yeah, I I mean, I can say good things about The Living Daylights. It's, uh, I believe in my top 10 for all of Bond. Let me go back to my list real quick. Uh, yeah, it's number six, right wow. below, uh, The Spike Who Loved Me. Uh, this one's great. I really like Timothy Dalton's Bond, and I really wish that he had got more, uh, because he got one Bond movie, and then he got another Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I wish that he had more time as Bond, because I think he would have, uh, he would definitely be a mainstay in the in the when talking about Bond instead of just kind of being forgotten about. But yeah, Skyfall all day, every day. Uh, th- this one's my overall pick for the entire thing. I really hope Skyfall wins. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's my my favorite of the Bond movies. Let's move on to our number two seed here, going up against uh, our number fifteen. So we have number two. From Russia with Love, Sean Connery, 1963, going up against the number 15 seed. This might be a little controversial because it is a non-Eon James Bond movie. Uh, this comes, I think this came out shortly after uh, Lays- Lazenby? Lazenby? Lazenby. 
Uh, no, actually, this came out during the Roger Moore era. Oh, okay. So yeah, so Never Say Never Again, which the title is fitting. Uh, it came out in 1983, uh, Sean Connery. And I think it came out the same year as uh, a Roger Moore uh, James Bond movie. Am I correct? Yeah, Octopussy, 1983. Yeah, and that one actually didn't make the list, and this one did. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, so because it's a non-Eon one, uh, th- it wasn't on the Blu-ray collection that I borrowed from Robin. So I didn't see this one. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I was. I've I've seen it in lists. Like people talk about it, like the fact that it's the non-Eon James mm-hmm. Bond. There's another one actually. Yes, there's um, a second and I'm one. Su- I'm surprised that Never Say Never actually made it on the list. <laughs> um, so I can't I, speak about it. I haven't seen it. Uh, maybe I will now that it's yeah. on the bracket. Uh, the whole bracket was a surprise. Uh, thank you, Dylan, for this wonderful gift. <laughs> I I wanted to. I was debating whether or not to include it into the bracket, but I feel like it just made it a little bit more interesting to add a non-traditional, uh, a, a more controversial uh, uh, James Bond movie in and outside of the movie. Like it was very controversial for them to bring back Sean Connery. Uh, from another studio the same year Roger Moore was still playing James Bond I wonder what their relationship was like back then I wonder if they ever met and talked Um, I hope so yeah you know have a nice little bromance uh, behind the scenes but uh, yeah I I decided to pull the trigger and have it up here and uh, why not have it go up against a a movie that came out two decades before you know, we got 1983 versus 1963 uh, yeah. from Russia with love. It's the number two seed. Do you think it's uh, fitting for it to be there? Uh, yes, actually. Let me see real quick. I think it's uh, no, actually, it's my number four. Um, but three out of the five Daniel Craig movies are one, two and three. Hmm. So um, if, it, if I'm just getting one Daniel Craig. This is right after it. So okay. from Russia with Love, like I said before, this one is my favorite Sean Connery. I think this is everything that Sean Connery's Bond is and should be. They mm. got it right with the second one. Like, Dr. No is kind of a rocky start, and then they freaking got it. Uh, <laughs> people like Goldfinger more. Uh, I feel like just because I've seen all of Goldfinger uh, in a pop culture reference, like, I'd never seen Goldfinger before. But watching it, I'm like, oh, I've seen this before, mm. you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So From Russia With Love stands out to me in that instance. And this one actually started the whole Bond song trope. Uh, instead of the opening credits, it's played at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. While they're sailing off in a boat and the credits start rolling. Uh, and I, It's a good song. Yeah. Uh, From Russia With Love is a gentleman. He's suave. Uh, again, uh, I think this is peak... 60s james bond yeah yeah uh this one does definitely uh, improve a lot more on dr no uh if i really really liked dr no then that means i love with russia with love because uh, yeah it, it just gets better as it goes on i i feel like yeah this would be considered peak sean connery i think just peak james bond in general and i have to admit i have not seen never say never again uh, I just wanted to include it for the sake of uh, stirring the pot a little, but yeah, I'd uh, like he's even got gray in the poster. So and Sean Connery was definitely getting up there, even whenever he left James Bond when he did, mm-hmm. and then to do it in '83, like 
brave brave yeah. man yeah i wonder what kind of heat he got from that or oh like what the uh what the tabloids were like back then when they said hey sean connery is back like what what what's going on you know and uh i just saw the roger moore picture last <laughs> week <laughs> i'm confused <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, I'm gonna have to go with uh, with Russia with love uh, from Russia with love just because I've seen that one and I haven't seen Never Say Never again. But I mean, they're both Sean Connery, so either way, he comes out on top. Exactly. Really quick, I just want to say there have been seven Sean Connery movies. Six, if you don't include the non Eon one, mm-hmm. uh, Never Say Never. But even then, if you take out this one. All six of Sean Connery's movies are on the list. Even Diamonds Are Forever? Uh... Oh, no. Actually, that one's not on. Oh, okay. Good. But still, still, the chances for Sean Connery are very high. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the only one that could stop him is Skyfall. (laughs) (laughs) But we shall see. All right, let's move on to our number one seed here, Goldfinger. You know, again, Sean Connery uh, came out in 1964. It's going up against number 16, Roger Moore. They're going head-to-head this time. Uh, 1973's 1973's Live and Let Die. Probably one of the the greatest uh, James Bond theme songs. Yeah. uh, Before I saw the movie, uh, that was my number one Bond song. Uh, But... Boy, do they get their money's worth out of a Paul McCartney (laughs) written Bond song. They play that song like, well, they play it during the opening credits. And then they have a singer in a bar sing it, which is weird. And then they incorporate it into the score at multiple points. And it's a slowed down, like the, like, da, 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 da. It's do, 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 do. And it's action. It's like. Uh, so I got my fill out of Live and Let Die, uh, the song. It, still, if it's on the radio, I'll belt my lungs out. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as like comparing it to Goldfinger, though, Live and Let Die, I don't think holds a candle. Uh, Goldfinger is clearly the superior movie. I mean, uh, it makes sense that we chose this list uh, going off of critics. Uh, so the fact that this one's number one doesn't surprise me. Um, it This is... Uh, Everything that Bond would become is Goldfinger. It, mm-hmm. it all started here. Yeah. Yeah, and it was great to see the top three uh, seeds here uh, play off uh, Sean Connery's evolution in the character. And uh, it's great because no, uh, Dr. No is number three and it came out uh, 62. Number two seed is From Russia With Love, 63. And then it, was, it felt like it was all leading to Goldfinger and 64 again it's crazy how these three movies came out year to year to year like back to back and i think that really just further solidifies like why james bond was such a big thing like when it first and why it still like stuck around yeah mm-hmm. those three movies back to back to back it, there's no wonder why we have 22 others like nearly 60 years later yeah yeah, I feel like the only thing that Roger Moore movie has is the song. And even then, within the song, they knew it too. Uh, I think that was the biggest shock. I would say the overuse of that song. 
Yeah, I was not <laughs> expecting that. Uh, the other shock, well, I mean, it's not a shock. It was this is a movie made by a bunch of white men in the seventies. Uh, how they portray uh, uh, the black people in this movie? Uh, yes. Oh, voodoo! That's scary. Yeah. And, uh, this was eesh. actually coming off of uh, I. There was something going on in the uh, here in America uh, during that time that heavily influenced uh, the the incorporation of uh, African Americans in the cast. Actually, this is the first James Bond movie where, and it's kind of weird to believe, but uh, because uh, we got Doctor No in '62, but this is the first time we get uh, a black uh, woman as technically the Bond girl. Uh, or at least an acting role in a James Bond movie. So yeah. it, it's just crazy that it took them that long. But again, you know... There was a black guy in Dr. No, but he got killed off. Yeah, Spoilers. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but this was the first black movie. actress uh, in a like an active role in a James Bond movie. So, uh, hey, uh, progressive. It's progressive. Yeah, uh, baby steps, especially with this franchise. Again, I could go on a whole tirade about <laughs> James Bond, but I mean... The movies speak for themselves. I, I would just be stating the obvious. Yeah, if anyone's going to binge this movie, uh, take a shot every time uh, James <laughs> Bond uh, slaps a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You'd be dead by the time you get to Goldfinger. Yeah, I mean, Goldfinger, is it's iconic. I mean, the, the woman who Pussy gets... galore! <laughs> uh, yeah, iconic. And her flying man. circus. <laughs> I want that on a shirt. Pussy galore's flying circus. I'm sure it has to be. Somewhere on someone on Redbubble, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, Goldfinger is iconic. You have the woman who's drenched in gold and uh, obviously dies from that, but uh, that's an iconic image in itself, uh, where you have her just laid out on the bed, just dead. yeah, and it it's so weird, like watching, like I know how iconic Goldfinger is, mm -hmm. um, but actually, like sitting down and watching it, I felt like I was watching something like. Every moment that happened, it felt iconic. Yeah. Like, instantly. It's, they really, they struck gold <laughs> with this one. Uh, I would say this one's the most parodied out of all the James Bond movies in general. Uh, I mean, if you look at uh, the trilogy of Austin Powers, especially. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's just a shame that it's so good at uh, just commenting and making fun of this franchise. But even... It's great, too, that you could get both. You can get the wacky spoof version of James Bond. And look how great that franchise is in itself because of this franchise. Yeah. You know, it's the same reason why people still continue to parody Star Wars. I mean, it's still parodied for a reason. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Uh, I, I could see Goldfinger going all the way uh even down to the finals, if I'm being honest. Me too. I I, I feel like Goldfinger is going to give Skyfall a serious run for its money. Yeah, but if we know the... Well, I think we're both going to be choosing Goldfinger here. But yes. there's one movie I feel like might give everyone a run for its money just solely based off the title. And that's going to go into our last uh, bracket here is... <laughs> golden eye <laughs> i oh feel my, like wow if, what a what a match we have here if the gold if the gaming community sees this bracket and just says <laughs> golden eye based off the video game this one would win uh but it's the number 10 seed here and it comes out 
came out in 1995, and this one stars Pierce Brosnan going up against the latest James Bond movie, number seven seed, No Time to Die, uh, with Daniel Craig, his last outing as the uh, character. And I guess let's talk about GoldenEye. We'll kind of save uh, No Time to Die last here. But yeah, uh, yeah what did you think of GoldenEye? Um, it's not my favorite, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely understand why this was such a big deal when it came out i mean the movie speaks for itself and then you have the video game tie-in like of course like goldeneye is still like people instantly recognize goldeneye when you say it um it's i I like pierce brosnan as bond uh i think he uh encapsulates the image of bond like to me uh out of all of the five he looks like bond like, mm. that's what I picture in my mind. Um, maybe that's because I grew up uh, with him as Bond. That's probably it. Mm-hmm. But I think he's the most handsome. <laughs> uh, uh, I would have to agree with you. I feel like at when you just see them, when you put them side by side, uh, Pierce Brosnan, to me, definitely really gives gives me that image of what James Bond should be. Like, if you gave Pierce Brosnan, if you put him in From Russia with Love, I think that would be, like, my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, this movie's fun. Uh, I remember watching, I not watching, I remember it being on TV a lot, only because I recognize uh, Sean Bean. Yeah. A lot. And I remember seeing that image of, uh, well, I guess the end, spoilers for GoldenEye, uh, when uh, Sean Bean is holding on to uh, Pierce Brosnan at the end uh, before he falls to his death. Uh, but Yeah, Sean Bean dies twice in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he dies a lot in general in a lot of movies and shows, so poor guy. Uh, also, I, I think we need to just mention that Judy Dench gets to play M. Uh, yes, oh my god, Judy Dench is like the best thing to happen to this franchise. Yes, yes, in general too, and it's great to, that she did she did such a great job that they're like, you know what? Nobody else can really play M when it comes to Daniel Craig's uh, saga. So uh, can you come back and do it again? Why not? I'm so glad that they got her because I feel like having a different M for uh, not only like just the Daniel Craig saga, but for Skyfall would have been a much different like. Oh, yeah. I, she, it's so integ- she's so integral to Skyfall and. If you had a different person as M, I don't think it would have been nearly had the same impact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking on that, though, uh, as, mu- as much as I love Judy Dench and what they do with M and the representation that means, uh, fitting, too, because behind the scenes, this is where Barbara Broccoli comes in. I mm. think uh, her dad had either completely stepped down or he had just passed away. And so here comes the daughter, Barbara, coming in and taking up the reins behind the scenes much like Judy Dench's M. Mm. Great parallel. Yeah. Um, but on the other side of that coin, this is a James Bond movie, and the uh, other woman on the poster, that's not the Bond girl, the villain, she is a sex-craved maniac. <laughs> she gets off on killing people, and she's so sexual, and I feel like they just went really overboard with her because you have... Again, the opposite side of that coin, Judy Dench being so reserved as the woman. So they had to just go all out with the other one, you know? And then you get the, the Bond girl here, just kind of playing in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, 
can't have your cake and eat it too, or they are having their cake and eating it too. They're like, see, women, we like you, we respect <laughs> you, and then they go and do that. Um, it is ninety-five again. Uh, hey, it's something. Judy Dench, uh, I again, she speaks for herself. She's great. Uh, yeah, I think that has much more of an impact though than having that uh, Russian sex crave maniac as the as the side villain. Hey, that's Jean Grey you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Put, put the uh, respect I never, on her name. I never saw the uh, X-Men movies. Oh, no. What? <laughs> yeah. I didn't wow. grow up on them. I never, oh, I've wow. never seen them. I saw all uh, of them. I know the, I know the opening uh, when they're in the White House and they kill the president or they kidnap him. I've seen that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I saw but, all of them in the theater. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, that's crazy. <laughs> I feel old. Um, speaking of uh, which, fitting too, uh, Golden Goldeneye is my number ten. That uh, he caps off my top ten for nice. Bond. It's funny. I have Goldeneye is ten. Uh, the man with the golden gun as mm. uh, number nine, and then Goldfinger number eight. I didn't plan that. That's just how I how it lined up. I only realized that after the fact. All the gold ones are just all in their own little group. That's crazy because Man with the Golden Gun is not on the list anywhere. Yeah, and that has freaking, um, oh, uh, I'm so upset that I'm forgetting his name. It is Count Dooku. Oh, uh, Christopher Lee. Yes, Christopher Lee. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad he got to play a Bond villain. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's it just crazy to me how uh, these things ranked out. I was surprised to see not the ones I would expect to be on the list, not on there like Moonraker as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, how you, how you think about the movies in general. I mean, I just thought based off, I feel like how they freaking take them to the moon. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought it would have been on the list, but anyways, uh, capping uh, off. Well, have you seen Moonraker? I've seen parts of it. Uh, oh. <laughs> I think I've seen. Sit the... down and watch all of it, and okay. maybe you'll see why it's not on the bracket. Yeah, yeah. And uh, capping off the list here is the most recent one. So no, no time to die. I guess uh, we we can talk about this one now. Finally, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's the end. It, it felt like Logan to me. I mean, the build up to yeah. it, going into it. I just felt like they're gonna kill him or not. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, let, let's talk about it. We have um, we have a nice cast here. Of course, Daniel Craig being uh, James Bond, but we also have uh, Rami Malek. We have, what's her damn name? Uh, Knives, Leo's... Knives Out. Oh, uh, Ana de Armas. She's not in it nearly enough. No. Oh, and... I, I missed her. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been a while, right? I think the last time we saw her was Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I was so excited to see like her and Daniel Craig back in back on the big screen, and she's just showing like if that scene that she's in in the trailer, that's all she's in in the movie. It's yeah. just that one scene. It's a glorified cameo, but uh, I mean, yeah. what did you think of No Time to Die? Uh, this is my number three a Bond. Uh, yeah, I uh, I'm not sure if it's just because I was caught up in the hype. I had just seen all of the Bond movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I was so like. Uh, before I was like, oh yeah, no time to die. I'll, I'll probably watch it, but due, due to it being delayed, uh, that gave me time to catch up on my bonds. And I feel like just being caught up in all of that, like this is the end of an era. I'm watching it in IMAX. Uh, there was so many factors surrounding it. Uh, 
maybe if I watch it again, it'll go down. But uh, I really like this one. This one's uh, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's no Skyfall. No, no, it's no Skyfall. I mean, I'm curious. Do you think it's what's your Daniel Craig ranking? Uh, it's Skyfall, Casino, No Time, Spectre, uh, Quantum. Okay, yeah, that's pretty. That, that's very accurate. That, that's what I would rank it as well. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's not as iconic as Skyfall or Casino Royale, uh, but it's really, really good. Uh, and I was very scared going into it because uh, just based off Quantum of Solace and uh, Spectre, because I feel like those two really heavily were trying to go somewhere, like overarching, and I feel like both of those failed, whereas... The Origins, which is Casino Royale, and the one that just totally its own thing, Skyfall, were so great. I was like, oh man, this feels like they're really going to try to stick the landing with this whole Spectre, this whole organization thing. And I feel like it's going to falter, but it didn't. It, it didn't, and I feel like it was a great send-off for Daniel Craig. And yeah, it tied up his whole saga in a nice little bow. They, Like you said, they stuck the landing. I, didn't, I really didn't think they were going to, but it... It's good. Yeah. They did it. Yeah, it's great. And uh, I, I wish we would have got more Daniel Craig. Like, I, I feel like he's been Daniel. Uh, he's been Daniel Craig, of course. Uh, he, <laughs> he's been James Bond for, what, 16 years now? Yeah, and there's only five movies. Yeah, which is weird, uh, especially if you're making movies like you are in the 60s. I mean, he should have had... 20 at this point yeah <laughs> and i don't know i i feel like we i feel like we just really got to know him as a character uh and i and i'm glad we got that with casino royale whereas as much as i love sean connery and roger moore i feel like daniel craig craig had a lot more personality and a lot more dimension to him as a character and which i'd expect i mean at the state we are now with the character and writings. Uh, yeah, I feel like I would have like at least wanted two more Daniel Craig, James Bond movies. I was going to say that another, another one, if not two would have been like perfect just, for him. Just great. But yeah, I mean, it's great that he got to uh, finish it, I guess on his own terms uh, compared to others, but yeah, uh, he, there, he was notorious for, like, hating the role of James Bond. Like, uh, after Skyfall, he's like, I'm not going to be James Bond unless I get a lot of money. And then Spectre <laughs> came out. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of bit of a butt. Uh, while he was doing the press tour for this one, he kept saying, like, uh, he was having such a good time. Uh, like, he's really glad that he got to be Bond. And uh, I'm glad that he turned around on that. I'm glad that he feels good and he was able to leave uh, with the movie as good as it is compared to the other ones that he did. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm glad he got to leave on this note instead of Spectre. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he's he got much more happier feelings. Uh, I feel like I have this theory that uh, because he did Knives Out, he just like uh, that because he got to actually like act instead of just being a piece in a larger story. Mm hmm. He got uh, that taste for acting again, 
Because, I mean, he was he was doing James Bond, and he was uh, more so, like I said, uh, a pawn in the story. And then he did Cowboys and Aliens, and then... <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and Knives Out came out, and I feel like that's where everyone kind of, like, oh, Daniel Craig's, like, uh, he's having a good time now, and then this movie, like, I don't know. I feel like he's just happier because Knives Out came out. Or maybe I'm just putting too much on that movie. No, but, yeah. Uh, no, I, 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 I get that. Yeah, uh, he just seems like a happier guy now than he was uh, even when he after Spectre, because I, I still remember him being that kind of grumpy guy. I'm like, why is he James Bond? Everybody likes him. And then Knives came out, and you know, so. I will uh, say. But yeah, no time to die. Speaking of Knives Out, watch Logan Lucky. I need to, yeah. Yes. Especially because they're going to play on that in Knives Out, too. Yeah, it's connected, right? Mm-hmm. They're brothers. That's so. I don't know how that's going to play <laughs> out. That's so strange to me. Anyways, uh, but yeah, watch that movie as well. It's really fun, and you see a different side of Daniel Craig, like Knives Out. So it's fun. Uh, but yeah, and but uh, I'm gonna have to go with Goldeneye. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Uh, just because I don't see Pierce Brosnan going anywhere anywhere else in the bracket i want to show him some love and i'm putting all my chips on uh casino royale no i'm getting uh skyfall uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh oh wait real quick uh mads mickelson swinging balls i mean yes <laughs> that's awesome oh my god that uh there's so much homoeroticism with daniel craig's uh bond like uh, in Javier Bardem, oh uh, yeah, in, in Skyfall, like his where, intro, yeah, yeah, and he's like, uh, there's a line that Daniel Craig or the Javier Javier Bardem's like, this would be your first time, and it's like uh, saying it and not saying it, mm-hmm. and then Bond comes back and says, how do you know? It's I haven't done it before, and then he's <laughs> just like, oh my. <laughs> Mr. Bond, <laughs> so hey, like he's uh, progressing. <laughs> yeah, I I love. They did so much for uh, the Bond front. They, uh, at least politically, uh, socially, uh, they do a lot of uh, cleaning up with uh, Daniel Craig's Bond. You and know it what? Feels I, natural. I like that they use that to their advantage, though. Where he is obviously a womanizer, and how he's progressed in that way. Like in for Sean Connery and even Roger Moore, it's just a character a character trait. That's just normal. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, he, he sleeps with all the women. But for Daniel Craig, it's more of something that he has to overcome. Uh, along yeah, with other it, things, too. Yes, it is. It's a flaw. And it's great. And it's so natural. Like, instead of... It could have gone a different way where it's like... Uh, they kind of poke fun at it. Or trying to demonize him. But they... Yeah, they, they make it into something a lot more... That fits the character too. That fits James Bond because it it does interfere with his missions as well. Yeah, and, and that's great. And also, if you're gonna help, J- okay. Here's my only one problem with James Bond, uh, with Daniel Craig. There's some parts where I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but he just feels so disconnected sometimes. I think that just might be Daniel Craig. Because, okay, there's a part... He was just disconnected from the movies. He wasn't having a good time making them. There's a part in Quantum... Well, Quantum of Solace. Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, the one that helps him out in 
Casino Royale. Um, uh, Jeffrey Wright? Uh, no, 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 Felix? No, not him. Uh, Mathis? Oh, yeah. He dumps his freaking body in a dumpster. <laughs> in Quantum of Solace. And I was just like, what? Why? I don't know. Little things like that kind of throw me I off. I forgot about that, to be honest. Yeah. It just felt like so mean-spirited. Anyways. Yeah, I, uh, we've, we've said a lot about Bond. Uh, I, I, that's all... That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> uh, who do you think is going to go all the way with this? Uh, um, who do you see in the finals? Skyfall, uh, Casino, and Goldfinger, and maybe Goldeneye. I think it's going to be those four. Dang. Yeah. I don't think a Roger Moore is going to make it. Uh, I'd be surprised. If they did, but uh, sure, rec- name recognition alone for Goldeneye, mm-hmm. uh, Skyfall, and Casino speak for themselves, and so does Gold- uh, Goldfinger. Yeah. So yeah. I I think that'll be the top four right there. Wow. Yeah, I, I see that too. Uh, all the way. I poor Roger Moore though. I I don't. <laughs> He's got a couple good ones, uh, but it's just uh, they kind of get lost. Uh, it. It's in the middle of the franchise, and that just kind of gets lost. Uh, mm-hmm. People go to the most recent and the what came at first, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then here's Goldeneye sticking out because it was such a big thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. I, I think we got a, a pretty good, solid bracket here. As uh, do I. I. I think I I liked how it all came together, and it's gonna be fun to see how it all comes out at the end. So at the end of November, we'll see who what is the best 007 movie. So did we rank our James Bond? I think we did, right? Oh, uh, we ranked the Daniel Craig movies. I don't think we ranked the Bonds themselves. Okay, then we have our uh, six Bonds. Where where would you put them? George Lazenby. It's starting at the bottom. Okay. George Lazenby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierce Brosnan. You might hate me for this one. Sean Connery. Uh, Timothy Dalton. Roger Moore. Daniel Craig. Huh. You have Daniel Craig as your first? As yeah. Your number one? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Why? Because he's blonde and has... Blonde, uh, blue eyes, you bastard. Uh, <laughs> just the way Adolf Hitler wanted uh, James Bond. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah, I. That's not honestly. That's a pretty good list. Uh, but I, I do. I would put Connery as the first. Mm-hmm. It's Sean yeah. Connery, man. Even yeah. for even for all his faults, you know. Uh, uh, dressing up as uh, pretending to be Asian, uh, <laughs> uh, hitting women, um, and doing some um, non-consensual stuff. But yep. hey, you, you got you got to take the good and the bad. I mean, for it, of course, Daniel Craig's gonna look perfect compared to them. Yeah, I'm. He's, yeah, he's got hindsight going up against him. I will say though, Sean Connery and even Roger Moore, I think they have the more iconic uh, villains because of course Daniel Craig's are just redoing what they did already before. So maybe I'll switch Roger Moore and Daniel Craig just to have more of a a bond kind of guy. Cause Daniel Craig's bond is a completely different take. So uh, yeah, Roger Moore, number one, Craig two. 
Oh, wow. See, you're, you're a Roger Moore guy and I'm a Sean Connery kind of guy. Yeah, that that makes sense. It makes Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect pairing. And that's why we, we love to do this. All right. Well, that's going to be it for us here. Uh, don't forget to vote on Twitter. Uh, that's the only place you get to vote. So yeah. sorry if you don't have a Twitter, make an account. Uh, it's fun. Twitter's fun. It's a lot more fun than Facebook, I'll tell you that much. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, join but the party. But please don't turn Twitter into Facebook, too. Please. Oh, yeah, please. Uh, I feel like uh, the new Twitter, new Twitterers are, are like uh, the Californians moving into Texas. Like, <laughs> uh, you, just stay stay there. Stay over there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, go ahead and vote. You, I'm sure you could do it now. Uh, vote on Twitter. Uh, for the best James Bond movie, the whole bracket's going to be on there. It's going to be lots of fun. Uh, join us and uh, just comment what's your best uh, James Bond movie and the, the your favorite actor that played James Bond. And you can do that at Cinema Show Live. And uh, go ahead and Instagram, Facebook, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we you can listen to us on. I mean, you already listened to to us now it's late i'm rambling <laughs> spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher uh google music amazon, amazon music. music uh all of it um oh facebook podcast oh it, yeah we're yeah. on uh facebook now <laughs> we're on facebook now it's stupid things broken but um, <laughs> we're on there uh it wouldn't be facebook without it yeah uh, we love you facebook we love you mark zuckerberg <laughs> <laughs> you damn AI. daddy zuck <laughs> and uh jackson where can we find you uh you can find me uh on letterbox like i shouted out earlier if you want to see my ranking and a bunch of other rankings i have so many lists uh i kind of go overboard uh you can follow me on letterbox at jackson uh jackson dml and you can follow me on twitter jackson underscore dml uh you can follow me on everything at dylan mm5 d-y-l-a-n-m-m-5 this this is a cinema show. Remember, all films are subjective and it's all about perspective. Have a great day and a better tomorrow. <laughs>